You're listening to Bite Sized Beauty, a podcast by Adore Beauty that breaks down the topics you want to hear more about into easy to listen to bite sized series. From sex to skin, we can guarantee there's something for everyone. So go on, sink your teeth into it. Olivia, obviously, we've worked with you for a long time. We both know you, but I'm going to get you to introduce yourself to our listeners, if you can. So I'm Olivia, founder of Silk. Uh, We are a sleep, wellness and beauty brand. Super exciting to have you on Beauty Biz. Um, Kate and I have had a great time so far, and I was personally really excited to um, catch up with you because it's been a little while, but I was thinking the first time I met you was like almost four years ago. Yeah, I was actually looking through my email trail this week um, when I was listening to your episode with Kate, actually, while I was listening to that. I was like, when when did this start and where did it start? Uh-huh. And actually, I don't know if you remember, Kate, I was actually introduced to you through um, Freddie from Afterpay, Frederica. That's um, right. Yes, yes, yes. She was like, you've got to meet Olivia. I think you'll love her. Yeah. And that's where it all started. And then you introduced the rest me to Danny. And, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Honestly, Olivia, I I was thinking about how we met and that first meeting. You came into our new offices um, in in Northcote, and it was barely an office at that point. I think we just moved in, and there was that big open room, and you sat there and you came in with a box, and you were like, "Well, I'm going to be a little unconventional. I'm going to start with a story that I need to tell you." And I was like, "Great, like I'm interested because this is different to someone who comes in with, you know, a printed um, somebody who knows what they're doing." Yeah. <laughs> no, well, this this stood out to me. So I was like, I'm going to pay attention here. It's really important. This is very unique. And yeah, how unique it turned out to be. So I'm going to ask you, because I've had the pleasure of hearing that story, but Silk is very connected to, well, started with a big, huge celebrity following. Um, and you told me this really cool story. So can you tell some of our listeners how you got Silk into the hands of some of the world's best known celebrities? I mean, it is an amazing story. Um, I know in in one of the comments, it's like, it almost sounds so good. (laughs) It sounds unbelievable. And it almost, it would be unbelievable in today's um, day and age. But six years ago, when I first launched the business, um, I came from Hanes, which was Pacific Brands back then. So Sheridan Bonds, you know, brands that have multi-million dollar marketing budgets. And of course that was quite daunting because here I was, I had this huge dream and I was thinking, right, I want to do cool things like these big brands get to do, but how do I do that without money? How do I do that without any sort of marketing budget in the foreseeable future? Mm -hmm. So of course, being the kind of big dreamer that I am, um, I decided to leave that role, start this business. And my one, I mean, I had a vision board and it was just full of pictures of the Kardashians. Um, my daughter and I have watched it like unashamedly since season one and many times we've watched repeats. So we were obsessed with the family. But I think the link for me and the reason I chose that family in particular to kind of, you know, I guess the story is going to go there, but deliver these pillowcases to was because I knew they loved Silk. Um, So those of you that Mm -hmm. love the Kardashians or watch it will be familiar that their grandma MJ also sleeps on Silk pillowcases and she's kind of fed that down to the girls for many years. But I remember Googling thinking, wow, look at Kim, one of, even back then, one of the world's most famous uh, celebrities. She was walking through an airport and she had this, it almost looked homemade. 
And I was like, she, I just can't let her continue travelling with something that, that, that I wouldn't use. It's your sense of duty to help her in that journey. Yeah, and for those that are curious, <laughs> like if you literally Google Kim silk pillow, black silk pillowcase airport, you'll see it. The end of it looked, it didn't look great and it certainly didn't look like the level of luxury that that, that family should be using. And so I was like, well, I have to do them this, this service. I have to create the most premium, beautiful pillowcases that I know they'll love. Uh, so that's like, and I remember telling family and friends and everyone was like, oh my God, you're absolutely insane. Like, there's no way you're one, you're going to get these in the hands of the Kardashians and two, it's, it's just not going to work. And, and I was like, well, I'm going to give it six months. So what does anyone do that has very limited budget and a huge big dream? They buy a ticket and jump on a plane to LA, which is what I did and took probably a very similar package that I brought to you that day of pillowcases. I think we only had two colours at the time and luckily black Mm -hmm. was one because I knew she loved black. So I made these things, I took them over and most importantly, which I think is a really nice part of the story, is I had a four-page handwritten letter. And in that letter it really shared a lot about my story. Um, For those that are listening that don't know, I fell pregnant at 19. Um, I was at that time accepted into NIDA to go on to become, you know, the next Nicole Kidman, as I thought. That was my dream. And I decided to to change paths and become a young mum on my own. Um, and that became oh, the beginning of a very hard struggle for 10 years. Um, those of you that I just watched on the weekend, the Netflix show Made, for those of you that have watched mm. Made, damn, it hit a nerve. So those of you that kind of resonated with that incredible show. That was very much my life. There's a a young mum who was always trying to work hard, always work full time, just couldn't get ahead, like just could not get ahead because the fees of having a kid were so expensive. So I was sharing a lot of the struggles of this um, in that letter. Like it was a very raw, um, in some ways, it was kind of like a mini version of an autobiography for me. And I shared that letter with the family and said, look, I have this dream I really want to do good in the world. I want to pay it forward to those that helped me before. I understand that brands can afford to pay and collaborate with you and do all these amazing endorsements. I simply just don't have the means to do that. So I know what I'm asking you is kind of, you know, sheer of a miracle, but I'd really love if you could, if you could support me and I'll make good on that, that if you do support me, I'll continue to help others in the future. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the essence of the letter. And that letter obviously hit a nerve because here I am, I arrive in LA, I get off the plane, hire a car. I was in a suit literally from the airport because when you arrive in America, it's usually very early in the morning. So Mm -hmm. I was like, right, this is a business day for me. Just get in that car. I had the address. Um, Those will always ask how I got the address and I really don't really like sharing it. But essentially the more famous you are, the easier it is to get access to somebody's address, which is really, (laughs) really awful and a a huge invasion of people's privacies. But I didn't need a private detective. I literally just Googled that as well. Google seems to be really helping me in this business. Um, But what I really didn't know, which was the kind of the, I guess, weird part of the story is I had no concept of gated communities. So Mm. for those of you who don't, also know what a gated community is. It's essentially, um, I don't even know if we have them in Australia. I imagine we probably do, but in America, they are actually very common. And the more famous you are, the more, I guess, money you have, the wealthier you are, you tend to live in a gated community because the idea is it's to protect you. It's to keep people like me out of your community. (laughs) So I I pull up to this address that I have and I'm thinking, oh God, there's like a, a brick structure massive cameras everywhere, all these signs, no trespassing, do not, you know, all this sort of stuff. And you pull up to a little brick building and there's security um, guards inside. And I'm thinking, 
oh, this is really interesting. Like I've literally just come from the other side of the world and now I'm faced <laughs> with a do not enter, do not cross, all, all the rest of it. And I thought in the moment, like I literally didn't have time to think. Um, there were cars banking behind me trying to get home. So I'm like, I, I just have to go for this. So I pull up to the little thing. The guy opens the, the window and he says, can I have your ID, man? And I'm thinking, oh, my God. So here I am passing over an Australian licence as well, which wow. would have looked very bizarre. Yep. I was dressed very, um, you know, quite polished in a suit and whatever. And he asked who I was there to see. And, I, of course, I used the business name because those that watch the Kardashians might know that or might not know that where Kim actually and Chris and everybody lives on the show is not actually where they live in real life. But one of the shows, one of the houses that they used to film in is actually Chris's, or was at the time, her office for Chris Jenner Communications. Uh-huh. And that was the address I was going to. So I said, I'm here to see Chris, Chris Jenner Communications, very, you know, kept a very serious look about my face. Poker face, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, what I know. Is, and my heart's beating a million <laughs> miles an hour. And it was all very fast and it happened really, honestly, I'd, this story sounds quite long, but it was a matter of seconds. And this this old guy looks at me, hands me back my licence and says, do you know where you're going? And I'm, I'm thinking at that point, oh my God, if my sat nav says in 400 metres, turn right, I'm like, gonna. this is my story's <laughs> over. And I'm like, no, I, I know where I'm going. And he gives me my licence yeah. and he opens the gate. And I think, oh, Jesus, like I'm wow. in. Like it, yeah. it made my whole intent of delivering these things seem so much bigger now than it was ever meant to be. I was literally genuinely in my heart thought I was just going to pull up to a house and, uh, yeah, and deliver them on a doorstep. So he lets me through. Yeah. And then, of course, at that time, I realised I am actually now trespassing. I've just lied. <laughs> I don't have an appointment. What am I doing? So I am actually <gasps> genuinely thinking, right, he's probably called the police and they're probably on their way. And like, I didn't know. Someone told me later that people can shoot to protect and all the rest of it. And I just thank wow. God that that didn't happen. Um, again, I would never, ever uh, encourage or endorse anyone doing this now because the only reason I think that I kind of sleep okay at night is I genuinely did not know I was going to have to trespass. Um, so I pull up to the house and I think, oh, Jesus, what is that? And I see these two incredibly expensive cars. One was a Rolls Royce. It was matte black. One was matte grey, like a just something you would honestly only Batmobile see. cars, yeah. Never seen it in Australia. Custom yeah. made. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? Later, I Google these two and it was Kim and Kanye, which I later found out they were living at Chris's house at that time because they were renovating. Because, of course, the show was six months behind, so you don't know any of this. So I'm thinking, oh, God, and that also helped because it meant Kim actually was the one who ended up getting my pillowcases. Mm. But there was a do not cross on the driveway, like the tape, do not cross. She was renovating as well. And I'm thinking, not only have I now had to do the wrong thing to get in here, there's another sign telling me, girl, get out of here. And I'm thinking, oh, God. So now they're personally saying, don't don't enter my premises. Like, please, no one, not just you, Olivia, but nobody, please cross this. We're getting probably a very expensive new driveway late. And I'm like, oh, God, waiting for the, the sound of the sirens, still thinking the police are coming. And at this point, I think, oh, I don't think I can cross. Like, I actually don't think I can cross. And at that exact time, a brown UPS truck turns up at that exact moment to deliver a package to their house. Like, what are the chances? Like, I'm a huge believer in the universe and that's just another story. But he had a package for that house. And I I honestly think if they didn't turn up that day, I probably would have either just left it on the grass out the front and hoped that it was found. 
Um, but he crossed, he just crossed the thing and I was like, well, this is my moment. Left the car running, got out, got my box. He pressed the doorbell. So by this time I'm hearing noise inside and I'm thinking, expecting Kanye to come out. And I'm thinking, oh God, this like, was very overwhelming. Um, I put my box down on top of his package and I just thought I have to get out of here. Like I, like a lot of people say to me, but why didn't you wait? Like yeah. I actually think he would have arrested me. Like I, I was terrified <laughs> at this point. Um, so I leave my package and I get out of there. One thing I don't share a lot, but the truth is after that, I was on such a high. Like you can imagine, like the whole thing was so exhilarating that I actually had Kourtney Kardashian's address. So I was like, right, it was five minutes away in Hidden Hills. It was the same estate as Justin Bieber lived in. So I was like, this is another level of, you know, estate. And I was like, I already, because every time I travel, I was prepared. I was like, well, I'm just going to go and deliver them to Kourtney's. So I actually do the same thing thinking, well, this is kind of, I got this down pat now. I'll just pull up. You would have felt invincible after the first experience. So I pull up to that estate and this time it was not the same experience. They had a a much more superior, uh, very full on security guard. I pull up to the window. I think, well, I'm just going to hand over my license. I'm all ready to go. Well, this guy looks at me as a lot younger. The way he stared at me was quite terrifying, but I felt really confident because I had this boost of energy and so I do the same thing. Oh, I'm here. And this time I just give the address of the residence rather than, oh, hi, I'm mm-hmm. here to see Courtney Kardashian. He's probably thinking, yeah, right, with your Australian accent. Um, anyway, so he says the same thing. Well, have you got an appointment? I said, yes. What does he do? He picks up the phone and calls the house. <gasps> okay. And I am like, oh, God, I, I, I'm busted. I'm done. Like, I'm actually done. So there's cars behind me probably thinking, oh, here we go. Another person trying to get in. We're just trying to get home. Can she just hurry up, you know? Anyway, so he calls the house and somebody answers and he's eyeballing me and he's saying, so so you're not expecting a delivery of silk pillowcases, so you don't have an appointment. And he's just like staring at me, saying it out loud, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. Anyway, he puts the phone down and he says, get out of here. Like, Courtney's not expecting you. And I'd never said her mm-hmm. name. Anyway, I leave, I get out of there and think, oh, I'm done. But I now often think back to that and think when Chris and Kim would have received that package, they are such a close family Courtney probably rang saying, oh, my God, this crazy person from Australia just tried to deliver me pillowcases. And Chris or Kim were probably like, "Uh, actually, she got in here and did deliver us pillowcases. So I kind of have become uh, quite known with that family. And, look, I think one of the nice things was in 2017, I think it was a year later, Halloween, I actually got invited to Kim's residence to drop off our new sleepwear for the Beverly Hills Hotel. That time I was made to sign a huge NDA the security inside her house, I got to go inside, was quite incredible. I didn't meet Kim. Um, I met her assistants who I'm still um, friends with today. Um, but it's been quite a kind of crazy ride with them. And then now it's progressed six years later where I, it's not unusual for me to wake up on a Sunday morning and get a DM from uh, Chloe, who is probably our biggest super fan. She is like a huge cheerleader of our of our brand now. And that's definitely developed um, with all of the giving that we've done because Four years later, I dropped off another parcel for them, not myself personally, but I gave them a letter and actually gave them an update on the brand and told them I'd made good on our promise. And I actually think the support we've had since then has actually been incredible. But that's the story. It's a long story, so you're going to have to edit a lot of that out. Oh, yeah. no, I love <laughs> no, it. No, I love it. It's so much it's hustle. Too like, much. It's too it's, much. It's, it's, it's sheer <laughs> bravery encapsulated in like a few hours dealing with jet lag and I bet I mean, as you were telling that story, I was like on the edge of my chair feeling the suspense and the fear. So 
obviously there's there's you know there's that story in terms of how you got it out there but if you go further back like why silk pillowcases what what made you get into that I think America was a big um, moment for me. So when I left um, Pacific Brands, I left a few weeks before having our dream holiday um, and the kids and I were going to America for five weeks. I was actually going to start a food truck business. Um, so I went to New York, which is the capital of food trucks, yeah. to do all of my research. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, 3 a.m., get up and turn the generators on and oh, food prep. Boo. Absolutely <laughs> not. Um and the first night in New York, I, because I obviously travel with my pillowcase. So I've had a pillowcase since my 20s, recommended to me by a hairdresser. You can probably tell, ladies, I have incredibly thin hair. If you look at my purchases from a door, you know what shampoo I need to use, <laughs> which is what I always buy. It's the Kerastase and it's yeah. um, for thin hair. But honestly, because I have such thin hair, my hair would get quite knotty at the back. I had baby hair till I was 10. Like I just have had a story with my hair. So a silk pillowcase was always what was recommended. But again, being mm. a young single mum, the truth was I actually couldn't afford a silk pillowcase. So I used to get, which I absolutely do not recommend, um, but I used to get a satin nighty and wrap it around my pillow if I was having an event because I was trying to protect my hair. And then when I mm-hmm. finally could afford to invest in one, because again, I really resonate with your listeners here, they are a really expensive product and they always have been. So even when I was in my 20s, they were still around 80 kind of $90, mm. which is a lot of money, a lot for, of money for a pillowcase. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I cherished that thing. The one I had, I had for nearly 10 years. It was a white one, took it everywhere with me and, of course, took it on that trip because I take it everywhere. And I remember reading one of your emails, Kate, you took yours to Tassie and set your alarm so that you didn't forget to take it off the pillowcase. Didn't forget to take it off. <laughs> well, I didn't do the alarm, so I didn't take it off and the room service took it um, and it was never, oh, to no. be seen, never to be seen again. So then I had five weeks mm. travelling around New York on cotton for the first time in honestly years and I, and this is going to sound really bizarre and maybe kind of, I don't know, a bit bougie, but if you've slept on silk consistently for 10 plus years and then you try. You can't go back. It's my skin, yeah. after five weeks, my skin got dry. My hair was a nightmare. Um, and I came back home and I thought, right, well, I need to replace this pillowcase. Mm. But I started Googling. I just wanted a zipper because I'm like, if I'm going to spend another $100 on a pillowcase, it used to fall off my pillow and it was really annoying. Mm. So I was like, I'll just get one with a zipper. Couldn't find one in a store anywhere back in 2015 in America. They didn't exist in stores and there was no zipper. So I searched the internet high and wide and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. So I started Googling how silk made, blah, blah. Again, I moved very fast. Three days later, I had an invitation to go to China, jumped on another plane, this time to learn everything about silk. And I was like, this is it. This is the idea. I know the product well. I know the problem I'm trying to solve. If, if nothing else, I'll have a lifetime of pillowcases for myself, which is a huge bonus. <laughs> then I had my idea of the Kardashians. And truthfully, I gave myself six months. Like that was my thing the whole time. I'll, I'm employable. If it doesn't work, I'll just get another job. And that's kind of where it all started. Wow. That's so Amazing. cool. I mean, we've had some of the highlights. What have been some of the biggest oh crap moments yeah in the business um okay like if I want to get really raw and real with it for those listening like I really hope some of the listeners of this podcast because I think it's an amazing really important um series for you guys to have because it's going to obviously be targeted to people hopefully that are wanting to maybe start a business or already have a business Mm -hmm. particularly in the beauty space my first tip would be make sure the timing is right Like, I don't think a lot of people talk about this aspect of business. Everyone says, you know, make sure your ideas sound. And all of these things are really true. But in my situation, I was 
Um, and again, I think this is probably more relevant now and I will speak openly about it. We're coming out of two really unusual years in Melbourne and in the world where relationships are kind of fragile and things personally, mentally or whatever. You, you, if it's not the right time for you, if you're feeling maybe that you're just needing some time to breathe and, and find yourself again, I would start by saying one of the biggest things I've learned is timing is everything. Nothing is a race. If you have a great idea today, don't feel you have to launch it today if you're not the best version of yourself today. And the reason I say that is one of the first kind of lessons or hardships that I faced is I was kind of at the end of my relationship with my husband. And I thought that starting a business would kind of give me new focus and would make things maybe better. In actual fact, it broke our marriage. And Mm -hmm. that was really hard because it was in the first year of starting a business. So then what happened Mm. is I was now Mm. kind of a solo mum and a solo entrepreneur without support financially or emotionally that I look back and think, you know what, we it was inevitable. We were going to separate and we needed to separate and we're great friends today. But if I had just maybe waited a year, I think my first Mm -hmm. couple of years in the business, I would have approached it very differently. So that was that was for me something that, you know, six years you can reflect now. And of course, if everyone Mm. knew everything, it would make things easier. The other thing is definitely less personal capital. You know, I went into it, I I had some savings from my old job. We'd obviously sold our house through the separation, so there was money there. I literally poured every cent and more. Um, you know, I then had a new partner a year and a half into the business. He sold a property down in Lawn. So in the end, we ended up putting over a million dollars of actual cash into this business. Yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. that's insane. Like for a business like mine um, and like many like mine, where you're not necessarily trying to be the overnight success, you're not trying to scale enormously, like your idea doesn't necessarily lend itself to scaling super fast. I think all you're doing there is it's a big risk. You're wasting a lot of money. Um, And sometimes I think I fell into the trap of thinking that the more money I had or the more money I could put into the business, the easier it was to scale. I actually would challenge that now. Like even an established brand like mine, I've had two chances now to have investors look at our business. Uh, one was quite recently that I actually declined because I have learned that just because there is more cash available to you doesn't mean that things will be easier. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that can make things a lot harder if you're not ready for it. You know, operationally, you need to be ready to scale. Um, and yep. I know, you know, Kate, you talked to me a lot about this when you were mentoring me in sort of 2018, 2019. We did not have at that time a stock management system. You know, mm-hmm. we we couldn't keep up with, you know, I think we were probably a really terrible brand for you guys initially, like if I'm honest, because we couldn't keep our top sellers in stock because I went and grew out to over 200 different, you know, lines of product purely because I had cash there to do it. Whereas actually what I've learned now is we've gone right back six years in, actually truth be known when COVID first hit, it was a great chance to kind of start the business from scratch again. And that meant Mm -hmm. reducing everything, going back to the old 80-20. of your revenue comes from 20% of your products. Focus and double down on that. That's where you should invest the money. Whereas I was throwing money at, you know, PR in America, trade shows, Facebook, Google, having agencies. This is all in the first few years of running like a startup from home. That's that's insanity. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think don't, don't fall into the trap of thinking that you have to grow really fast. I think that's an expensive kind of thought process or goal to have in mind. Less mm-hmm. hires. Um, I fell into the kind of ego. Like I talk a lot about my own ego. I've learned a lot about myself as a founder in this six years. 
my ego very much, you know, Instagram was such a thing six years ago. Brands were comparing themselves with the next brand and they had 10 people, you had to have 10 staff. And if they were five mil, you needed to be five mil. And if they had, you know, this retailer, you had to, and it just, it's not a good space to be Mm. when you're trying to build a business. Um, You know, so I did at one point, I had 11 staff when our revenue back then was probably about a million and a half a year, which is insane. We don't even have that many staff today and our revenue is a lot higher than that. But it's, you can get caught up in this trap of, I guess there's an old saying like keeping up with the Joneses, which is super Mm. daggy and I'm now showing my With the Kardashians. (laughs) (laughs) And what I mean by that is like, it just became, you had to put on, I felt I had to put on this facade that we were so much bigger than we were because truth be told, the Kardashians had shared our products. So, of course, I felt our brand needed to be the size of that. Yeah. But the reality was we were tiny. It just We just had some big moments, but our brand was tiny and I lost a lot of money through that. And and now I'm all about, you know, I, I mentor people on the side and I, I say the ego is the first thing that's got to go. You know, mm-hmm. tell people how mm-hmm. it is. Tell people it's hard. Tell people that you're making good revenue but you're still not making profit like let's not continue this um facade Facade. yeah Mm. I think you can help others in our industry by helping them actually start to make money um and that that took me a long time and I I mean sure Kate as my mentor you probably would have loved to have some even more hard truth conversations with me back then but you probably appreciated it's also part of my journey Mm. this is the thing and and I think there's a couple of really interesting takeaways from from both the things that you've said there and and I mean the first one being that you know having having the the operational and the planning and the logistical capability and financial discipline behind whatever you're doing in you know creating an amazing product and creating big marketing moments and getting out there and getting new stockers like you need actually an equal balance of both of these things otherwise you can really you can really overstretch yourself and then the second thing is that and i think this is just such a feature of the entrepreneurial journey is that whatever your own issues are or your own weaknesses are or your own um you know kind of tragic flaws here is where you're going to meet them because yeah. because the challenges uh, that you go through and the, the levels of stress that you'll be under, mm. like now's when they're going to come out. There are no there are no chances to sort of hide behind any of that, and they will all be absolutely amplified. So, um, and and you're right. It's I think there is that whole kind of Instagram mythology of that you know everything is shiny and beautiful and easy, and that there is that there even is such a thing as overnight success, which yeah. is of course absolute rubbish. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the truth is that it is hard and that it needs to be hard and that it's and that it's okay to share that and to you know to go at the speed that you're going rather than worrying about what everybody else may or may not be doing or may or may not appear to be doing that's a super confronting thing for for someone like me who's made a career working for businesses rather than running my own that moment that kind of whacks you in the face and says hey it's not the right path for you or this isn't the right approach you need to how do you take stock of that and turn it into something good because it can be really hard to pull yourself out of something like that Mm. I think for me um the moment was probably around year three year three for me was a Mm -hmm. particularly hard year there was a few things again I felt this enormous pressure of the statistics of how many businesses fail in the first three years and Mm. remembering 
I was nearly 1.5 million of personal cash down at that point as well and continuing down. And I'm thinking, am I ever going to see that again? And then feeling kind of this whole, I failed. And then, but everyone on the outside thinking you're a huge success. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not. And then I think truthfully, the real moment came when I started not wanting to come to work. You know, I had a team at work and, mm. I, and I was thinking, I'm now the employee that doesn't want to turn up to their job. Like, and, it, and it's my job. And I'd get to the front door at work and I'd think, oh my God, and you've got to put on like, you know, you've got to be the thermostat. Mm. So you have to put on the happy face and you have to bring the energy. And I was thinking, oh my God, I, I would swap this at this point for anything. And then yeah. that went on for probably about, probably close to a year, to be honest. And I started doing things in the office, like I'm looking at it now. I created and turned our, our head office in upstairs here into a Zen zone. I started putting things in that would make me feel good, indoor plants, all this sort of stuff. And it sounds kind of weird, like how did that help? But really what it was is I needed an energy around me that would give me an external or an internal calmness because inside I, I was truthfully, I, like in some way, this sounds really dramatic, but my soul was kind of dying. Like I was like, oh, I had this huge dream and it hasn't happened and I'm having to keep up appearances and, and I can't give up and you've got to keep going and you've got to pay your staff. And like, I'm so far in now. I'm never like, I mean, I've had a child at age 19. I'm never going to give up. I'm not that type of person. But it doesn't mean that the fight to drag yourself out of that is easy. So I actually reached out and I got myself a really good coach. And surprisingly, like what Kate just said, a lot of the work that I had to do was actually about me as, as an individual, not as a, as a mum, not as a founder, not as a, you know, a manager. It was actually I had to get straight with myself about how I'd got to this point and what I was going to do and where these things had come from. And, you know, they talk about tall poppy syndrome and all this sort of stuff and imposter sy syndrome. Where are these self-doubts coming from? Why are you now down on yourself? Why aren't you being your own cheerleader? And what you'll find is a lot of this stuff, like all of us eventually have to do this at some point in our life. And for me, it just hit mm -hmm. year three of the business. That was tough. You know, it took me back to my childhood, things that happened when I was little, my acting career, like just a whole lot of stuff. And I thought, damn, that's for some reason, it's decided to put it, you know, put its ugly head up now. Now's the time. <laughs> and I spent a good year and a half working on myself um, and working on yourself is a continual thing, but I did a year and a half of really solid work. And the business started slowly turning around. I loved coming to work. You know, COVID's been the worst. I want to be in the office now. But I think for anyone that starts having that feeling where you don't want to be in your own workplace, that's probably a good time to go and, go and speak to someone, go and... Unpack some stuff. Yeah, there's, yes. there's, mm. there's a reason for that. And it's probably, it's probably not because you're not making profit. Like it's, you could think of a million reasons why, but I think it's always going to be deeper than that. So that was the moment for me. And I'm sure, Kate, over 21 years... I imagine maybe that moment is going to come again for me. Like it's probably a continual. Yeah, I know. It doesn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just so you know. Um, no, look, and, and this is the thing, but you learn a lot, right? And for me, well, I don't know. I think one of the things that I've learned is that in the end, it actually becomes more about trying to be mindful of and appreciate the journey of it rather than mm. being so focused on on getting to the top um, yeah you've got to actually learn to just sort of enjoy and appreciate the climb and take those moments of disaster or challenge or or you know difficulty as 
you know, actually appreciate those just as much as you appreciate the good times and go, okay, right, well, this is this is an opportunity for me to to learn something to learn. more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's super cool though. We're talking about a six-year period here and you think about how full and rich mm. and colourful it is. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the beauty of you're living full lives where you're owning everything, the ups and the downs. Like there's something – yeah, you, you can't not look back and think, gosh, I've really made the best of it. I've really made the most of these years. And look, for me, when COVID hit, I, I mean, I remember the day I put a thing, Kate probably saw it, I put a thing, a very open and honest thing out on LinkedIn, 23rd of March last year. Um, yep. And that was that was a screenshot of our business bank account that was $907 in debit. First time in six years, we'd run out of money. There was no more financial, there was nothing and surprisingly, at our what should have been our darkest moment where we really did face kind of closure and a lot of brands did unfortunately close last year and, and still are this year, I truthfully remember sitting at work that day. I was tearful. I did an Instagram live. It all kind of came out. It was very raw. But I remember thinking I was at peace that day because I truly, mm. I, I had done everything I could. And for the first time in my life I was like, I'm actually proud if we shut the doors I actually feel quite proud of what I built. And I think the interesting thing there was is when something like a pandemic takes hold or something, you know, like COVID, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than this brand. It's it's the world. Like I didn't feel like I'd failed because I can't, I can't beat a pandemic. So I felt this kind of really bizarre sense of it's okay. Like now, now is the time. But the kind of ironic thing about that is when I'd finally kind of let's use the word surrender, when I'd went for the first time in my life in any situation where I'd finally been at peace with what will be will be, as the saying goes, everything changed because I was now no longer trying to control the outcome. I was just getting more in flow with what was supposed to happen for the first time ever. We made actual money. We physically, there's one thing to make profit, and Kate will understand this on a PL. You can have some fancy numbers at the end, but actually that doesn't always translate to cash in the bank. And I worked out um, on your podcast the other day, Kate, that amazing results this year. And I think you had something like 17% of your revenue last year. You actually physically had the cash equivalent in your bank. So I quickly did our numbers and we had 12%. Like for me, I'm like to, to even have 1% of cash in your bank at the end of a financial year. And I was like, I don't know how that happened because I'd tried so hard in four and a half years prior and yet the one moment where I'm like, it's okay if we don't make it and then we've just, you know, climbed on and on and things now are starting to take on, I guess, a rhythm of their own and that's because I am less in, I'm less controlling of the outcome. But also because you did all the work. Um, yeah. All of those years up, up before that, right? Like if you... <laughs> Yeah, but I would never give up. Like prior, I, I would never have given Correct. up. And this time I was like, you know what? And then I think, as you say, what was nice is that people like you guys got behind us, our customers got behind us. And I think that's when, as a brand, you realise, wow, you actually do have a community. Like you, you've actually mm -hmm. built a community. And I think that's key. Like if you, you can build the most amazing products, but you can still be kind of a jerk of a, of a brand. Like the customer service yep. behind a brand can really kill you. <laughs> yes. Like you have to be nice always because it's a small world and, and it'll catch up with you. And I think for us, it was like, wow, we finally had this sense of people are backing us and, and you know what? And I think that's when we put the flag in the ground. And honestly, I said it before, I feel like I rebuilt 
from last year. Like I honestly feel like we're a year and a half old now because now I'm doing, now I'm building a brand how I, you know, I think one of your questions is what would I do again? Now I'm doing my again. Mm, Now I'm watching our cash flow. Now I'm focusing on our key sellers. I'm listening to our customers. I'm asking them, what do you want? What don't you like? What don't you want anymore? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think is an amazing product. It's the people who are putting money into their own pocket that should be driving our innovation. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I was doing it well enough in the first few years because you're just focused on so much other stuff. So, yeah. Well, no, I love that story. I love that story. I think it's it's those moments of real challenge where all of the work that you have put in over all of those previous years. And I think I think in your case, um, like you say, the way that everybody stepped up to help you, I think what I've observed about you and your business is, um, and I, I actually, you know, I'm not a very woo person, but I'd firmly believe in karma and that what goes around comes around and the energy Mm -hmm. that you put out into the world is kind of what comes back to you and you and your business I think your generosity and your giving has been such a core part of what you do and and how you roll and and so I guess you you had spent so many years putting that out into the world and so then in your time of need everybody is kind of there and and ready to support you absolutely Mm. it comes back yeah so what is next what is next for your brand? What have you got coming down the pipeline? Um, okay, so we, again, sticking to like our path, we do have a lot of new products coming. They'll always be in our bestseller range, um, but we have got new categories expanding. We are going to, mm-hmm. again, listening to our customers, they always seem like sleep has become a huge thing in the last kind of 18 months, even though we've been at home a lot. Sleep has become a real focus. So the whole sleep category for us is huge right now and is something that we're working hard on. Um, I will say that it doesn't all involve silk. And the reason for that, Kate mentioned it before, silk is very slippery. And I, as a founder, understand that. I'm not going to give you products where you are literally going to slide around your bed if you've got a silk doona, a silk sheet set, a silk pillow. It's too much. There is a there is a moment where there is too much silk. Um, but it is understanding what our customers want. And there are still some amazing fibres, natural fibres, um, obviously doing good is in our DNA. So the whole sustainability piece is a big push for us. And I think we're going to push the boundaries with how can we continue to bring in high quality, natural, sustainable products that our customers want. But obviously we're, our focus will always be silk pillowcases, but there's a lot more you can be doing for your sleep routine that, that doesn't just involve a silk pillowcase. So that's exciting mm-hmm. for us. You guys have some, you've had some great innovation over the years. I think our um, silk lined uh, shower caps, uh, I think too. So that just came. It was a it, because I I needed one. Um, you know, I think of my journey in the day. I sleep on my silk pillowcase, then I get in the shower, and I don't wash my hair every day. Like who's got the time? Not me. Um, so I I put on one of those you know plastic things, and it just the the frizz, the frizz was still getting in. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to line one with silk and see if it works first and foremost. And it mm-hmm. did. I thought it was pretty simple, but it's still I think in the world the only silk lined shower cap. Those listening, they actually do sell. So maybe get on it if you've got a brand in our space. I'm I'm all for that as well. (laughs) For those that are looking at innovating that have brands, it doesn't have to be something so incredible. Like often it is actually the most simple fix that can make your product 10 times better. It's a really good message. I'm super into your big fat scrunchies at the the moment. Mm. Every time I put one on, it's like, oh, I really enjoy it. 
it feels very 90s and I'm still like I'm still sort of like internally struggling with getting back into scrunchies. Letting go of that. Just, you know, I haven't quite let go yeah. of it, but I'm also really enjoying it. So there's that too. <laughs> I love that. And we've all got long hair in lockdown. So yeah. the more scrunchies, the better. Yeah. yeah. Scrunchies are here to stay. Never really left, I don't think. Like, let's be <laughs> honest, we all tie our hair up, whether it's to run the gym, whatever. The, That's it. They're definitely always going to be here. Yeah. So, Yeah. Well, it's been so lovely chatting to you. Delightful. Yeah, I've really appreciated the candidness. and um, I've said it many times, um, but I really would like to say it publicly for everybody else. I, I honestly would just love all of your customers to know that what an incredible brand you are as well because I know that they see you doing lots of amazing things. We all do, especially you, Kate. You are just a powerhouse for women um, and I absolutely admire everything you do. I'm grateful for the help that you gave us. But more so, I just am so appreciative that you dug deep last year and, and you you cared enough to save our brand. And I say that genuinely. And and I hope all of your customers know that, you know, outside of being this fun brand that gives Tim Tams that we all love, behind the scenes, you guys are incredible. And I, I honestly can't thank you enough. Oh, nice. I have all warm fuzzies now. Exactly. We wouldn't have been able to do it without you too. We can't do it without so many of our um, loved brand partners and you are definitely up there, Olivia, with the exciting stories, but also the really warming, truthful messages. So thanks for sharing all of that today. Thank you both so much. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, who have we got next week? I think we have Charlene and Vivian yes. from the Beauty Fridge. Yes. I think it's going to be a really good story. Like this is kind of one of those products that where you've seen founders actually just like invent a whole new mm-hmm. category, like a fridge yep. to put your beauty products in. Yeah, grabbing the bull by the horns, I think. Like they saw a gap, they went for it. So we've got some tough questions to ask them, but I'm really excited about it. 